The following podcast is part of the MindBodySpirit.fm podcast network. Meditation doesn't have to be a solo practice. Meditation is more fun with friends. Looking for a way to drop in and hang out at the same time? Join us online at Omega Institute for a meditation party with self-proclaimed meditation nerds Dan Harris, host of the 10% Happier podcast, Sabene Selassie and Jeff Warren. This three-day retreat will stream live from Omega's Hudson Valley Campus, May 17th to 19th. Don't miss the party. Reserve your spot at eomega.org slash party today. Serving spiritual seekers around the world. Unity Online Radio. Thank you for tuning in for this Unity Partner Program. Unity Online Radio partners with spiritual leaders from organizations whose mission and messages complement Unity's. We are pleased to bring you this program on Unity Online Radio, the voice of an awakening world. Welcome to Truth Transforms with your host, Rev. Galen McDowell, Senior Assistant Minister at Christ Universal Temple in Chicago, Illinois. This is the program for spiritually enlightening discussion, interviews, and the practical application of new thought principles to transform your life. Now, here's your host, Rev. Galen McDowell. Hello, this is Galen McDowell, and I am your host. I am the Senior Assistant Minister of Christ Universal Temple in Chicago, Illinois, where the Reverend Derek B. Wells is the Senior Minister, and the Reverend Dr. Johnny Coleman is the Founder. Uh, Today we are um, talking about the book, The Eye of the Storm. I'm going to be teaching this book for the next several months. Last week I did an introduction to the book, and this week I'm going to teach chapter one. If you're listening to this show and didn't listen to the previous show, The Eye of the Storm is based upon the concept of embracing conflict and creating peace. So in other words, how can you be a centered spiritual being in every situation or encounter? It's a really good book, in my opinion. I love the book. I have read it multiple times. I've taught it in the Johnny Coleman Institute in Chicago, and... You know, I've even reached out to the author on uh, a few occasions just to let him know how much I appreciate the book. Matter of fact, I will have the author on at the end of this series, I believe, in November. So I want to make sure that everyone who follows along with this series actually gets the book, The Eye, with a capital I, not E-Y-E, The Eye of the Storm by Gary Simmons. Um, so as I'm speaking you can follow along. More importantly, you can do your own study, your own inner work, because the book has excellent questions at the end of every chapter called awareity, which is awareness therapy. So I want to make sure that everybody has the opportunity to work on themselves. Again, I always tell people when they read any book, it doesn't make a difference what it is, or listen to anyone teach or buy an audio or whatever, that they can follow the Bruce Lee method. What's the Bruce Lee method? Bruce Lee used to teach, absorb what is useful, reject what is useless. Again, absorb what is useful, reject what is useless. What does that mean? What you can use and take from the material, use. If it doesn't resonate with your soul, put it down. But what you can use, do something with. Do something with it. So let's make sure that we work with it. All right, so let's get right to the book. I want to cover a couple of things in the introduction really quickly on page eight, uh, where he talks about uh, in the middle paragraph um, um, an example of an awareity question is, how is that possible to be afraid? As you attempt to answer this question, you will first recall situations that have felt threatening You may then look deeper and notice that present fears are also rooted in past issues. As you continue to explore the question, you may discover that fear is only possible when you don't feel connected to your sense of wholeness and worth or when you don't see God in the situation. 
I love that because he's basically telling us as we start to ask ourselves these deeper questions, we start to drill down on our inner motivations. So we might discover that the fear is only possible. Again, fear is false evidence appearing real is only possible when we don't feel connected, connected to what our sense of wholeness, who we are in God and who God is in us and our worth, our, our divinity, our divine nature, knowing that we're the image and likeness of God or when we don't see God in the situation. In other words, we're looking around and the, the moving parts are so are disturbing us and we don't see God or good or how good can come out of this experience. So when you don't see God, you don't see good. What that does is it makes us feel less secure. And when we feel less secure, that's when the fears, that's when the doubts, that's when the frustrations, that's when the anxieties start to come into play. Then he goes on to say, if you can see that fear is not so much evidence of danger, but rather an indication that you are not connected to God. Now, I will say consciously connected. I don't believe that we can be disconnected from God. In this context, he means in thought. But in truth, you can't be disconnected from God. You can only have an awareness that's not connected with God. Um, you may respond differently to a threat the next time one arises. So I'm going to read that again. If you can see that fear is not so much the evidence of danger, but rather indication that you are not, my word, consciously connected to God, you may respond differently to a threat the next time one arises. So. My fear is just an indication that I'm not consciously aware of the presence and power of God in through and as me. In other words, I can't see the good in the situation because I'm probably not seeing the good or the divinity or the power within me in that experience. In some situations and circumstances, we have a lot of confidence. We have a lot of fear. I mean, the faith because we feel capable in those particular experiences and situations or with these certain type of people. But other situations, other circumstances, et cetera, we might have some doubts, we might have some fears because we don't feel as capable. Therefore, it's harder for us to see the good in a situation where we don't feel capable, we don't feel as though that we can handle it or that God is handling it. And, you know, I'm a big believer in the concept that there's no big daddy God in the sky. God works in and through the awareness of individuals, through the consciousness of individuals. So there's no anthropomorphic or human being like God that says, oh, Galen meant well, I'll fix that for him. Let me tie that bow for him. No, I have to be open and receptive to the activity of God as good that is already present because God is omnipresent. In that experience and my awareness of it activates that into that particular situation or experience. Uh, page nine. He writes, the second method is working with the, pr the principle of center. Centering helps you embrace difficult situations without becoming defensive or reactive. This is key. Centering helps you embrace. Now, notice the word embrace. Embrace difficult situations without becoming defensive or reactive. I think the word embrace is really key. Embrace, you know, you grab, you hold, you work with, without becoming defensive or reactive. You know, when I think of embrace, I think of uh, Jacob wrestling with God in the book of Genesis. Obviously, this is an allegorical tale. And Jacob tells God, I'm not going to let you go until you bless me. I'm not letting you go. He was embracing what he was wrestling with. He was he was having some fears and some doubts about meeting his brother Esau because he tricked his brother Esau out of his birthright and his blessing many years before. And in that wilderness, what he was really doing was wrestling with his own higher nature versus dealing with his own doubts and fears. So he, he was going to get what he needed to get out of that experience no matter what. I'm not going to let you go until you bless me. So the book goes on to say, Centering is a body-mind dynamic. Your body must be relaxed and your mind must be capable of shifting attention and awareness in order not to create resistance. Okay. All right. What does it mean body must be relaxed? In other words, when we feel tense in mind, it normally shows up in our bodies. Heart rate, adrenal glands, you know, uh, we start to sweat or, you know, it's many signals 
that the body gives that says I'm in fight or flight mode. And we have to start paying attention to that. Sometimes people have uneasy stomachs. Uh, they feel the stress in their bodies. So if I feel capable, if I feel I have the ability to shift my attention and awareness away from what I think is happening, that allows my body to relax. And sometimes just doing things like, okay, let me just center myself. Let me take a deep breath. Let me get by myself for a moment, if that's possible, and just breathe. It pulls the mind back in sync with the body and allows the mind and body to relax. In other words, you have to take conscious control of your mind and body. Moving on, the book goes on to say, the shifting of attention and awareness is key to moving from center. If you look into a car window on a bright and sunny day, you easily see your reflection. With a little effort, you can shift your attention to become aware of what's inside the vehicle. I love that analogy. You walk up to a car, you automatically see yourself. But if you look hard, you can see inside the car. And that's what we have to do with our life situations. Are we looking at them hard enough to see what's inside instead of just what's being reflected back at us? So he says, with a little effort, Excuse me. He goes on to say, we are conditioned, and I underlined that word conditioned in my book. We are conditioned to see the reflection first because how we look or how we are being perceived is what matters most to us. Mm. So, in other words, we get caught up in to is this making me look good? Is it making me look bad? You know, in other words, how is this being perceived by myself and others? You know. How does this work with my self-image? It's perception. All right. It says, he goes on to say, seeing beyond the reflection and into the interior of an issue requires a willingness to look harder and in a new way. Seeing beyond the reflection. Seeing beyond. Okay, so in other words, what does seeing beyond the reflection look like? It looks a lot like things are happening in your life. And since this is a universe of cause and effect, things are coming back. And instead of being the victims, why is this happening to me? I have bad luck. Nobody loves me. I can never get ahead. I always run out of money, et cetera, et cetera. I start to look deeper into my beliefs. What am I thinking? What am I feeling? What have I accepted to be true? This allows me the opportunity to transform my thinking so I can transform what I'm experiencing. All right. All right. So to the book. Now, in the first chapter, no one is against you. That's the name of the chapter, chapter one. Uh, he tells a story about meeting these uh, these priests from the east who are monks who give him basically a soul reading. I'm not going to read all of that for time. Uh, but what came out of the process was he was very, he felt very vulnerable, uh, embarrassed and uncomfortable with the with how accurate they were about his life. Now, he goes on to say that one of them, one of the monks said to him through a translator, no one is against you, not even your own life. No one is against you, not even your own life. All right. He goes on to say on page 13, I asked the translator that I was awestruck by the accuracy and a little nervous at the prospect that my future could be so easily discerned. Next, Sachi, one of the monks, spoke, assuring me that no one's future is etched in stone. The future can only be regarded as probabilities floating upon a sea of infinite possibilities. What makes us so predictable, he added, is that attention and awareness continually reframe the present moment in the context of past influences. Who we are today is what sets tomorrow's stage. 
consciousness is poured into the framework of attention and awareness to set in motion the forces that organize the manifest universe. If consciousness is in bondage to the past or if attention is mesmerized according to ingrained patterns of awareness, the future is simply an extended line from here into tomorrow, and that what makes the future predictable. Now, what does all that mean? And again, that's why you get the book, so you can read it and go back over the words over and over again. What he's basically saying is, if we're putting all of our attention and our awareness on on uh, past influences, in other words, we think we're in the present, but we're really not. The past we made we made choices, we made decisions, we we experienced things, but our minds are stuck on what where where we've been and who we have been in those experiences, and those decisions and those beliefs and those feelings are recreating the present moment because they are projecting forward into our future. So our, instead of our future being free, our future is actually being dictated. By our past beliefs. So these beliefs, these thoughts and feelings that are in the subconscious mind are just playing over the same experiences because we really haven't changed and we really aren't in present and in the moment. We're actually just recycling old belief systems. So until we challenge those old belief systems, tomorrow is predictable because it's most likely going to be like yesterday and today. You know, Dr. Phil says the best uh, predictor of, of future behavior is past behavior. That's a very powerful statement. The best predictor of future behavior is past behavior. Now, that doesn't mean it has to be, but until a person really starts to work on themselves to create new habits, not just talk new habits, but create new habits, they will tend to do the same things over and over again because we're creatures of habit. We'll think the same kind of way, believe the same things, talk the same way, move and act the same way, have the same habits, whether that's in relationships, whether that's at work, whether that's with money, whether that's with friends, whether that's with politics, whether until something happens that pulls you to the present or shifts or somebody of a really dominant consciousness influences you to shift your mindset, which is obviously not what you want to happen. So let's be very present to who we are today is what Gary Simmons wrote. Who we are today is what sets tomorrow's stage. Who we are today. You want to know what your tomorrow will look like? What are you thinking about today? What are you doing today? What are your behaviors, attitudes, beliefs, and actions today? That's setting up tomorrow. All right, well, we're coming close to our first break, so let me remind you that you can call into the show at 888-558-6489, 888-558-6489. Um, I love to hear you call in and, and ask questions or make comments. It really helps the show. I think it gives it a different flow as well because I never know what somebody's going to call and ask me. And your question might be the question that might really help someone else. Also, want to remind you that remind you that this show has a Facebook page, Truth Transforms with Reverend Gaylor McDowell. So if you're on Facebook, make sure you find the page and like it, share it with others, put inspirational quotes and videos and other type of things on the, on the uh, page. Last but not least, this show along with all the other shows on Unity Online Radio are supported by your donations. So as you freely give... Uh, freely receive, rather, excuse me, freely give. So make sure you go to unity.fm, unity.fm, and click on the donate button to help support this online ministry. We'll be right back with Truth Transforms. Wouldn't you like to share the programs that inspire you most with audiences around the world? That's easier than ever with mobile giving. 
Just text Unity Radio to 72727 and help us continue offering spiritual programs that change lives. What if you were intentional about your life, committed to having more energy and being more vibrant? Join Reverend Temple Hayes, spiritual leader of First Unity at Unity Campus in St. Petersburg, Florida, as she guides you on a journey to an intentional and energetic life. Empower your life and fully express the wondrous energy, love, and joy you hold in your wildest imagining. Joyfully and actively know that more important than what happens after you die is the deeper and enriching concern for what happens while you're living. How can you experience an incredible life right now? Learn how each week on The Intentional Spirit, Seeing and Being, Wednesdays at 1 p.m. Central Time, right here on Unity Online Radio, the voice of an awakening world. Thank you for tuning in to Truth Transforms. Now, here's your host, Reverend Galen McDowell. Welcome back to Truth Transforms. We have a caller. Sandra, are you there? I am here. This is Sandra from Buffalo. Hello, Sandra from Buffalo. How are you doing? I am well, thank you. I love this book. Oh, that's great. That's oh, my great. God. It's just... I, Sometimes I think I shouldn't be here in this world. I'm telling you, I'm like, I feel like an alien sometimes when I'm reading this. I'm like, oh, my goodness. But I do have a question for you. Okay. In the book, it says, um, um, this is, it was on page 15, and Maru added in English, no one is against you. Make your path be about proving this truth, and you will discover what wholeness really is. And okay. I was confused about what he meant, what wholeness really is. Okay, well, wholeness just means that which doesn't lack anything, that which is something that's in integrity. Um, you know, for instance, if you lack the uh, – see, wholeness in and of itself means that you're really discovering yourself. So you – see – We'll tell you over and over again in New Thought, you're already whole. You're already whole. Mm -hmm. You're already whole. The spiritual part of you is already whole. You might have some uh, some fragmentation in human experience, but the spiritual you is always whole. And what we're always seeking to do is to express our absolute wholeness into our relative experiences. Does that make sense? Okay. Now, now, I understand. No, no, get what I'm saying. We're always trying to express our absolute wholeness. What does that mean? We have a wholeness that doesn't change ever. It doesn't make a difference if you're in the hospital. The I am in you is always well. It doesn't make a difference how much money you have in the bank account. The truth is, the absolute truth is, you're one with with the substance of the universe. Mm-hmm. The, it doesn't make a difference how the re, your relationships are. The truth is you are one and the expression of the love of God. Now, that's the truth. Now, how does that absolute truth show up in our relative ex- life human experiences? That's the game. That's all you're ever doing, trying to express more of God, of the truth of who you are in God into your life world, uh, life world and experiences. So we want to become more aware and put more attention on the truth, the absolute truth. And if we, yeah. and if that happens, okay, what 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 is going to happen if you do that? Because life is going to, you know, send you all these issues and. And challenges, and this is why I think people think, you know, somebody is against them because we're always experiencing something. See but, see, see, but that's based upon our language, just even your – because that's a belief system. Life is going to send me. No, life is happening. 
life is changing, is ever evolving. When we start talking about the what we call the human experience, what mm-hmm. we call is 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 uh, is just the interaction. And he's going to get with, into this in later chapters of competing needs, wants, and values. You got all these different people believing a whole bunch of different things, creating a whole bunch of different um, experiences, and we are encountering each other, and we're learning and evolving in our interactions, not only with ourselves, but with each other. But we take that to mean that something is against us. See, that's the difference. Okay. So, 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 for instance, um, Jesus could have easily thought and would have been justified in saying Pontius Pilate is against me. But he didn't. He said, you, you know, you couldn't have any power over me unless it was given to you by my father. Even in the, in the midst of somebody who was seeking to take his physical life, he did not view that person as an adversary. That's the mastery. Okay. Okay, so um, when you start dealing with situations and circumstances where you transcend the way people be- believe and act in any given situation. So what does that look like in, in, in real life determines, when I mean real life, I mean your everyday human experience, is dependent on the things that you are dealing with and working through it in your own soul. So you might... You know, you know, you you might have situations and circumstances where you really might have to stand on faith to know uh, divine health. Your my body is the life of God and expression is perfect, whole and complete. God's divine order is expressing through every cell, muscle and tissue. That might have to be something you have to take a stand on. That's seeking to express more of God's wholeness into your physical body. It might be a situation and circumstance where. Something seems to be antagonistic towards you, but as you uh, root yourself in truth, you're able to realize, as he says in one of the later chapters, I have experiences. I'm not my experiences. See, when you have the belief that something is against you, then you think that something can add or takes from you. What that person was telling Mr. Simmons was your wholeness is already true. Now, make your path about understanding who you are and your experience, your own wholeness. You're not you're not discovering anybody else's wholeness. You can only discover it and, and experience yours. I mean, I, I I really want you hopefully to get that. Yeah, you can. This is, you're not this is making wholeness. This is really right. This is a different way of uh, being and yeah. being. Yeah, that's the point. It's the different way of being, which allows you to see differently. All right. So what I'm saying is don't rush the process. Allow it to evolve. Um, Are you a biological mother? Yep. Okay. Now, you know that um, that a a three month old baby can't live outside the womb. And we don't know how to make that happen yet. It has to be a certain amount of weeks before a baby can survive outside of the womb. If it's premature. Well, don't think that this new way of thinking just pop. You're going to have the, you could have a role to Damascus moment like Paul, you know, blinded by Jesus type thing. But most of us, we grow into it. Allow it to grow. Okay. You don't have to figure it all out in one day. Work with the book, do the awareness questions, listen to the show. But most importantly, do your own inner prayer work and meditation and allow the the experiences to be what they need to be. And you might have some morning sickness. In other words, wow, this is really disorienting me. I can't believe, you know, this is really making me think differently. You might have some labor pains. You might be you might get tired of carrying this new way of thinking when you really want to go back to the old way. It was a lot easier before I had this. Baby in my belly, yeah. and there's a lot, and and we think, see, that's the thing, we think that it was easier to live life ignorant, but it wasn't. Go through the labor pains that's necessary because the end result is a new way of being. But you got to trust the process. So people like 
uh, ministers and teachers and authors and et cetera. We're only, you know, we're only like midwives. We just help the process that's natural. We don't make the process. We don't create the process. We don't change the process. We help the process. Mm-hmm. That's it. All right. Okay. Well, thank you. Thank you. Yeah. Go back to teaching. This is really, this is really good. This is, this is really good. Got it. All right. God bless. Thank you. Bye. Well, all right. So on page 14, um, they start asking uh, Gary about his past wife experiences. He thought he, they meant past life experiences. And he wrote something I think that's really, really profound. He said, I, um, I now, ha- I laugh now with the expression past wife experience. I guess I, I have learned that I can't look outside of myself for wholeness and completion. That's so key. I can't look outside myself for wholeness and completion. My wholeness is within. And this is what I tell people when um, I'm doing premarital counseling or any type of counseling with relationships. That no one completes you. They only compliment you. See, you know, we fall into these beliefs because of, uh, you know, Hallmark cards and romance movies and novels that I'm going to find the person that completes me, uh, my better half, and all of that conversation. That's nonsense. Absolute nonsense. Nobody completes you. You've never had a better half because you're already whole. To say that somebody's your better half means that you are less than whole. I won't even entertain that type of conversation. Why? Because a person can compliment you. And when you all come together, you create something greater. But if you all decide to do something different and and move apart and go on with your lives in a different way without each other, they're whole and you're whole. But if you don't think that you can be whole, if your identity is wrapped up in that role, then you will think that you're less than whole. That's why people sometimes totally freak out around separation of relationships like divorce or long-term or even sometimes short-term dating relationships because they think their identity is wrapped up into those things or they freak out because they lost the job that their identity was wrapped around. But nothing completes you. You're already whole. It can only complement you. It can only be a conduit or vehicle through which you express your own natural God-given talents. If you can just look at every situation and circumstance, it doesn't make a difference to your parent. Um, my daughter is about to turn 16, and I love my daughter more than vocab. I have the vocabulary to express, and she does not complete me. I was whole before I was a dad, and I'm whole as a dad. And as and what she does is complement my life, and and I pray that I complement hers. Here's the reason why I have to bring this up, because we are always reaching and looking outside of ourselves to make us feel feel as though we're whole. When you start seeing people selling um, things to people like um, I saw on the news, and I've mentioned this in previous shows, where they were selling to Asian women eye surgery so their eyes can look more like uh open like Caucasian or African-American eyes, you know, Western eyes really is what they were selling it as. And I was just saying, wow, these young Asian women have perfect eyes. What do I mean? Perfect for who they are. Why do you have to look like somebody else? You know, we, we, that's what the cosmetic industry and many other industries are always telling people, unless you have these type of shoes, unless you have these type of clothes, unless you drive in this type of car, unless you live in this type of neighborhood, unless you have know these type of people, unless you have puffy lips or, you know, now you have people, you know, excuse the term, but, you know, injecting nonsense into their hips and behinds and all type of stuff. Unless you look like a body like Serena Williams, you're not whole. Whatever. This stuff is all nonsense. Nothing completes you. There's no amount of cosmetic surgery. There's no amount of money. There's no amount of, of prestige or fame that can cover up 
a lack of center, a lack of completion, a lack of a sense of wholeness in your own soul. Because you're always chasing the carrot when you don't feel good about yourself. Always chasing the carrot. It's never enough. Online yesterday or two days ago, I saw um, uh, a picture of a, a rock and roll guy, uh, Kurt Cobain. I can't remember the name of the group. And according to the world, he had the world in his, according to the media, he had the world in his palm. You know, he created a new type of music, which I forget, I can't remember what it's called now. And he was one of the most famous and influential rock and roll people that are early, mid-90s, and he committed suicide. At the top of his game. And how many people have done the same? A lot. Because nothing completes you. Some people are seeking it in fame. Some people seek it in drugs. Some people seek it in, in, in you know, uh, being hypersexual. All type of things. People do all type of things to feel a sense of completion. But until you feel complete within yourself, then... Those, all of those things are just temporary highs. Temporary highs that come and go. So the book says on page 14, Muru, the other month, can you see how everything, continue, can you see how everything that is for you or against you has its roots within you? Roots. That's where they come from. As you have learned, your wholeness cannot be found outside of you. Are you also willing to see that lack and abundance are not outside of you either? I'm seeking abundance instead of being abundance. It's two totally different things. See, that's why New Thought focuses so much on the shift in consciousness, the transformation of the mind. Because we're saying you're already a powerhouse but you don't know it. And the more you know it, the more you can show it. That if no one is against me, then my own consciousness is interfering with the natural expression of good in my life. Now, that's not saying anything to beat us up. That's saying I'm taking responsibility for my life so I can turn this thing around. And it's going to be okay if people tell you no. It's not personal. It's going to be people who will tell you, well, you know, I don't see it the same way you see it. And that's okay, too. You can be a Bill Gates and have uh, the encyclopedia company, uh, Britannica. Well, I can't remember the name of the group now. They used to be in everybody's uh, living room. When he said, you know, we can put all these on a CD-ROM program and open it up through my Windows program. And they're like, oh, no, go ahead, young man. We don't need that. We, we're the top educational um, encyclopedia company in the world. And who has those books now? No one. Don't worry about that. You can be Steve Jobs and your own company kicks you out of your own company. Don't take it personal because... You know, uh, you know, to quote LL Cool J, don't call it a comeback. I've been here for years. You have to come be able to know that you always can come back because it's not personal. All you have to do is keep working, keep focusing on, keep staying on your plan, stay true to knowing that what you're doing, what you're doing and your wholeness are two totally different things. I'm always whole. I do different things. And when you act from your wholeness, it shows up differently. So we're at our second break. We'll be right back with Truth Transforms. Do you ask with childlike wonder, what is the nature of God? Who is Jesus? What is the Christ? How do we know what we know? When you ask these or other heart-centered questions about the non-physical, intangible aspects of life, you are, on some level, a student of metaphysics. New from Unity House and nearly five years in the making, Heart-Centered Metaphysics, a deeper look at Unity teachings, is now available. This is Paul Hasselbeck. 
author of this quintessential study guide. Enjoy a deeper exploration of universal spiritual principles and truths, whether you are just starting or have been seeking for years. Each thought-provoking chapter of Heart Center Metaphysics speaks to truth seekers like you, providing essential tools to help elevate your consciousness and create spiritual transformations in your outer life and circumstances. Order your copy today from the Unity Online Store at www.unity.org. Then click on Shop. Just like life, grief is a journey, not a destination. Whether it is loss of life, relationship, security, or simply the process of change, have you given yourself permission to begin your journey of grief? Have you yielded to the gift of grace? Join Reverend Chaz Wesley every Thursday at 5 p.m. Central on a virtual navigation from grief to grace and explore new horizons of empowerment, significance, and support only on Unity Online Radio, the voice of an awakening world. You've been listening to Truth Transforms with Reverend Galen McDowell. If you have questions or comments about today's program, or if you'd like to join in on the discussion, email us at truthtransforms at unity.fm. Now back to Truth Transforms. Welcome back to Truth Transforms. Again, if you want to call in, you can call in at 888-558-6489, 888-558-6489. I want to make sure I give everybody an opportunity to get your questions asked or make comments. So the author goes on on page 14 to write, can you see that your struggle for wholeness and worth has been predicated upon the belief that there are opposing forces at work in your life? Now, see, that's the thing. That's a shift. There are no opposing forces working in my life. Forces, in other words, powers. Uh, he goes on to say, do people, your wife, or I would say husband, or significant other, your children, your parents, colleagues, friends, or even strangers on the street, I would also add to this politicians, hold a measure of your well-being hostage. Do people, your wife, your children, your parents, colleagues, friends, or even strangers on the street hold a measure of your well-being hostage? In other words, you can, you know, he let me just read what he wrote because it's beautiful. And in your attempt to find yourself to get what you need or to feel safe and okay, must you first gain the cooperation, approval, or acceptance of others? So, in other words, is your peace, is your wholeness, is your well-being, is your sense of completion based upon what other people are doing or saying? Do you need them to act a certain kind of way to be whole and at peace? Do you need them to show up a certain kind of way to say the things you like, to do the things you do, you like them to do? Now, I'm not saying, for instance, you're a boss, manager, leader, owner, whatever, and you have business practices that have to be accounted for. You know, people don't show up when they're supposed to show up, you know, or not getting the job done. A responsible manager or, or leader has to deal with that with through the proper discipline. I'm not saying that. What I am saying is your peace doesn't have to be a part of that equation. What a person does or doesn't do has nothing to do with what has to be done in that particular situation. In other words, again, and in your attempts to find yourself to get what you need or to feel safe and okay, must you first gain the cooperation, approval, or acceptance of others. He goes on to say, Satchi, no one is against you. You have no adversary in your life. There's nothing in the universe that is against you or your purpose. I love that. Nothing is against your purpose. You say, well, I've been trying to get this goal and these dreams and et cetera, and, and I keep running up against things. Well, you know what? That's called life happening because other people have purposes and dreams and things of that nature, and sometimes they, they align and sometimes they don't. The people who wrote the 
uh, Chicken Soup of the Soul books, Jack Canfield and Mark Victor Hansen were turned down 141 times by different publishers to get their book published. Can you imagine? Those books have sold like 100 million copies now. Can you imagine all those publishers that turned that series down, what they missed? What they missed? It doesn't, no one is against you. I can remember when Reverend Coleman would, would talk about the building of the uh, Christ Universal Temple. She, and she, you know, told her story about how, you know, she went to Unity and to get her healing. She had six months to live. And she got down there and she bumped into systemic, systemic racism. Couldn't stay on the campus and all type of other stuff. And part of, instead of allowing that to stop her, which she could have, she was the agent that transformed it. Because she was going to be unstoppable. She had to get what she needed to get from it. And she wanted to make sure that she could bring it back to her community. The, our, our current location where we're at right now is not the place where she originally thought she was going to build the mega church. Not the church that she built previously, but the mega church that we, the 32 acres of land that we're currently on, 3,000 seats and all of these, you know, and three buildings. This wasn't the original location. But she didn't think that the people were against her. Guess what? Life is happening and evolving. Guess what? You stay true to what it is you seek to do. It might not show up exactly the, the how you expect. See, you got to know the what. The universe knows the how. You got to stay true to your what? Back to the book. He says, uh, this is what is meant by an awakened future. You must leave this room knowing only one thing, that nothing is against you. Nothing opposes you. Any experience you have to the contrary is evidence that your mind is rooted in separation and illusion. I love that. Rooted in separation and illusion. We think we're separate from our good. We think we're separate, separated from God. We think we're separated from our good. We think we're separated from our health. We think we're separated from our prosperity. We think we're separated from our love. We think we're separated from our goals. No, I am one with God and my good. I am one with God and my good. Everything else is an illusion. And what I mean by illusion is what we have accepted in our minds to be true. That's not true in God. He goes on to say that the the monk told him, if you resist what seems to resist you, you strengthen the hypnosis that keeps you in bondage to your past and makes predictable your future. So, when we are fighting the illusion, we make it stronger in our own minds. I know that sounds crazy, but think about the times when you've engaged in arguments and and and, and uh, got involved with things that when you really look back and you say, you know what, this really wasn't worth it. It wasn't worth your time, your energy, the relationships that got destroyed, et cetera, et cetera, because you were resisting something that you really got nothing out of other than being right. And, you know, we will fight to death about being right. But that's all a part of the hypnotism. The hypnotism of what? The hypnotism that H. Emily Cady wrote about in Lessons in Truth when she wrote in the in the chapter on bondage or liberty, which every man believes himself to be in bondage to the flesh and the things of the flesh. All suffering is the result of this belief. Every man believes himself to be in bondage to the flesh and the things of the flesh. All suffering is the result of this belief. We believe that we're in bondage to the, to the, to the human condition and the experiences of this human condition. We believe that we're stuck and, and be as people who are being acted upon instead of being caused in our life. Back to the book. All right. He says, how can this be true? How can this be true considering all the challenges and problems we face in our life? I thought to myself, is not our world filled with adversaries, people or situations that resist us, threaten us or take advantage of us in a world where lovers quarrel, parents argue, children fight, families feud, students protest and nations war. How can it be true that no one is against us? He talks about his martial arts practice and how he all these injuries he's received. But no one has actually ever attacked him. 
He says, in my relationships with others, I've had my heart broken, my butt kicked, my ego bruised. I've been stabbed in the back by friends, raked over the coals by a boss, and pounced upon by my wife. I've been crushed, stepped on, left hanging, and blasted. Isn't it interesting that the metaphors we use to describe our relationship difficulties seem to assume that we are really being attacked? Look at the, the words we use to describe human interaction as if we were being physically attacked, literally. It says our lives are filled with real and imagined dangers, or so it seems. Uh, is it any wonder that we have created a virtual reality out of our fears and insecurities and superimposed it upon the landscape of our daily lives? In other words, we believe it, so we project it into our experience. So anybody that I tell people, um, if you have buttons that are easily pushed, then that's your fault. Some people are trying to dodge your buttons, and they and they don't even know how. Have you ever engaged with someone and you just didn't know what the thing would be that would trigger them to make them snap, go off, or whatever? Sometimes that's a boss. Sometimes that's a spouse. Sometimes it's a parent. You just don't know. Because, because they've made up this imaginary thing that whatever happens is justifies them behaving that way but that's a lie it's not true it's just a belief that's being acted out because that's how they see life and performance and perception are always uh, in harmony with each other he goes on to say uh, when someone threatens you bottom of page 16 threatens you and you feel defensive, do you use your own feelings of fear and defensiveness as evidence that the person must be really against you? If someone blames you or accuses you, do you react to protect yourself? And I'm not saying that you don't speak truth with integrity. The issue is not what you necessarily always what you say, because that does matter what you say, but also the state of mind through which you present what you are, are stating. In other words, are you coming from a place of peace and harmony and confidence or how dare you, you know, I'm going to put my mental dukes up. In other words, I'm ready to battle. All right. He goes on to say, is it possible that the experience of intimidation, threat, or adversarial relationship relationships arise out of how you are relating to the experience and not how the experience is relating to you. In other words, this is how you see it and this is how you're behaving and acting, which has nothing to do with what's actually really happening. Yeah. So the book goes on to say, search for what's missing. He says, um, It is not easy to, to, to see this directly. We think of ourselves as innocent bystanders, minding our own business when suddenly we find ourselves victim, victims of circumstance. The stance of defensiveness is justified given the nature of the environment in which we live. That's what we believe. He goes on to say, yeah, we know our insecurities and self-protection strategies are rooted in a deep sense of incompleteness. If we were whole, we imagine... If we had confidence and personal power, the seeming hostilities of our world could be managed if not conquered. Ah, so he asks a question on page 18, which I think is the question of the first chapter. He writes, or he wrote, excuse me, what do I need in order to feel safe and okay? What do I need in order to feel safe and okay? Why do you ask that question? Because if you're functioning in a sense of, uh, of uh, without a, a sense of wholeness and completion, then it's something that's missing. You believe. So when you start asking those type of questions, you get to the root beliefs that you can now change and shift because you can challenge them. But what do I need in order to feel safe and okay? That's a very powerful question. All right. He says. He says, "What do I need in order to feel safe and okay?" Is the question that guides our search for completion. Because you, once you realize that that question will bring up the insecurities, the fears, the anxieties, the frustrations, what do I need? All right. 
And then you can start working on some things to be able to say, okay, well, um, I have some issues with money. I have some issues with my relationships. I have some issues with my, with, with my career path or whatever it might be. And then you can start asking yourself the why questions and, and what can you do to, to make those things the way you want them to be. But then you're doing it from a sense of wholeness, not from a sense of lack. All right. All right. And uh, last thing in this last minute, it says searching for wholeness in terms of what is missing or what completes you creates a hypersensitivity to how life looks and feels. You are driven to avoid what makes you feel unsafe and compelled to hold on to what seemingly completes you. So we don't want to make anything. We don't want to do anything that makes us uncomfortable when you have a sense of of less than wholeness. He says, in this paradigm, you're only whole when you feel good about yourself, when you are successful, when you are, when you have enough money, or when you are happy. But is this really wholeness? Is wholeness something that can be here today and gone tomorrow? I would say no, it isn't. So be mindful that you know that nothing completes you. So what I'm asking everybody to do before next week's show is uh, – Complete in writing, the uh, or answer rather in writing the questions on pages nineteen and twenty called a werabee. Do the work. If you do the work, you get the transformation. Faith without works is dead. So with that, God bless you, and I'll be with you next week with truth transforms. Thank you for tuning in to Truth Transforms with Reverend Galen McDowell. Join us every Wednesday at 10 a.m. for live discussions about how to live a spiritually transformed, prosperous, healthy, and joyful life. Truth Transforms, only on Unity Online Radio. This program is brought to you in part by Christ Universal Temple in Chicago, Illinois. Online at www.cutemple.org and on Facebook and Twitter under CU Temple. Is there a difference between the spiritual teachings you know and how you live your life? Does your day-to-day experience reflect what you truly value? Are you ready to receive your life and live the gift that you are? Join Janice Campbell, licensed Unity teacher, author, and coach each week as she shares inspiration and tools to help you identify and dissolve the limiting beliefs that prevent you from living the fullest expression of what you are. Talk with Janice live every Thursday at 9 a.m. Pacific, 11 a.m. Central on Receive Your Life, only on Unity Online Radio, the voice of an awakening world. The benefits of spiritually conscious living start now. For a time-tested method to live with purpose and release your infinite potential, tune in to The Yoga Hour, Living the Eternal Way, with Yogacharya Ellen Grace O'Brien, every Thursday morning at 10 a.m. Central, 8 a.m. Pacific, only on Unity Online Radio, the voice of an awakening world. Inspiration only takes a moment. Take a moment now to reflect on these words from Reverend Joan Gattuso. According to an ancient Hindu teaching, if you can only speak the truth and tell no lies, either minuscule or outrageous, for 12 consecutive years, you can attain enlightenment. A noble being will always tell the truth. Do you? Begin now with the first step of simply noticing if you do tell the truth immediately or if your first instinct is to alter the facts a bit. Resolve to be honest with yourself and others starting today. And after 4,383 days, you just may become enlightened. This meditative moment is brought to you by Unity. 
What is it you really want in life? No matter what you've been through, you can still achieve it. I'm Sandra Ann Taylor, and in my Energy Activation Podcast, we'll explore the science of manifestation, and I'll give you specific techniques to shift your energy in order to make your dreams a reality. I also do live energy readings, and you can be a part of the show by emailing your questions to me at sandrataylor.net. Join me on the mindbodyspirit.fm podcast network or wherever you get your podcasts.